0: What we can say is that all claims of happiness are claims from someone's point of view, from the perspective of a single human being whose unique collection of past experiences serves as a context, a lens, a background for her evaluation of her current experience. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. My name is Igor S.F. Walker, and today we look at Stumbling on Happiness by Daniel Todd Gilbert. So, how about you slow down and relax? Reduce all that noise for just a bit, make that choice. And decides to listen. In this video, we look at a book that describes what science has to tell us about how and how well the human being can imagine its own future, and about how and how well it can actually predict which of those futures it will most enjoy. So stick around till the end. I will share with you two with. I will share with you some tools that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. This book is about a puzzle that many thinkers have pondered over the last two millennia, and it uses their ideas and a few of Daniel's own to explain why we seem to know so little about the hearts and minds of the people we are about to become. What would you do right now if you learned that you were going to die in ten minutes? Hard to say, of course, but all of the things you might do In your final 10 minutes, it's a pretty safe bet that few of them are things you actually did today. To see is to experience the world as it is. To remember is to experience the world as it was, but to imagine, aha, to imagine is to experience the world as it isn't and it has never been, but as it might be. The greatest achievement of the human brain is its ability to imagine objects and episodes that do not exist in the realm of the real, and it is this ability that allows us to think about the future. As one philosopher noted, the human brain is an anticipation machine, and making future is the most important thing it does. There are at least two ways in which brains might be said to make future, one of which we share with many other animals, the other of which we share with none. All brains, human brains, chimpanzee brains, even regular food-bearing squirrel brains make predictions about the immediate, local, personal future. Why would anyone go all the way to India, spend his time, money, and brain cells just to learn how to not think about the future. Because as anyone who has ever tried to learn meditation knows, not thinking about the future is much more challenging than being a psychology professor. Not to think about the future requires that we convince our frontal lobe not to do what it was designed to do, and like a heart that is told not to beat. It naturally resists this suggestion. Indeed, thinking about the future can be so pleasurable that sometimes we'd rather think about it than actually go there. Forestalling pleasure is an inventive technique for getting double the juice from half the fruit. Knowledge is power, they say, and the most important reason why our brains insist on simulating the future, even when we would rather be here and now enjoying the goldfish moment, is that our brains want to control the experiences we are about to have. But why do we want to control it all? Why not just let the future unfold as it will and then as experience it as it does? Why not be here now and there then? There are two answers to this question, one of which is surprisingly right and the other of which is surprisingly wrong. The surprisingly right answer is that people find it gratifying to exercise control, not just for the future that it buys them, but for the exercise itself. Apparently gaining control can have a positive impact on one's health and well-being, but losing control can be worse than never having had any at all. Our desire to control is so powerful and the feeling of being in control so rewarding. The people often act as though they can control the uncontrollable. Why should we want to control our futures? Then the surprisingly right answer is that it feels good to do so, period. Impact is rewarding. Happiness is a word. That we generally use to indicate an experience and not the actions that give rise to it. Happiness refers to feelings, virtue refers to actions. And those actions can cause those feelings, not necessarily and not exclusively. How do we know when a person is expressing a point of view rather than making a claim about her subjective experience? When the word Happy is followed by the words that or about. Speakers are usually trying to tell us that we ought to take the word happy as an indication, not of their feelings, but rather of their stances. I am happy about. I am happy that. Impoverished experiential background caused language to be squished so that the full range of verbal labels is used to describe a restricted range of experiences. Words such as happiness, we still cannot be sure that two people claim to be happy are having the same experience, or that our current experience of happiness is really different from our past experience of happiness, or that we are having an experience of happiness At all, if the goal of science is to make us feel awkward and ignorant in the presence of things we once understood perfectly well, then psychology has succeeded above all others. But like happiness, science is one of those words that means too many things to too many people and is thus often at risk of meaning nothing at all. We believe what we see, and then we unbelieve it when we have to. The three-and-a-half-pound meatloaf between our ears is not a simple recording device, but a remarkably smart computer that gathers information, makes shrewd judgments, and even shrewder guesses, and offers us its best interpretation. Of what the way things are, because those interpretations are so good usually, because they usually bear such a striking resemblance to the world as it is, actually constituted. We do not realize that we are seeing an interpretation. Instead, we feel as though we are sitting comfortably inside our heads, looking out through the clear glass windshield of our eyes. Watching the world as it truly is, we tend to forget that our brains are talented forgers weaving a tapestry of memory and perception, whose detail is so compelling that its inauthenticity is rarely detected. People imagine a near-future pain as so severe that they will gladly pay a dollar to avoid it, but a far future pain is so mild that they will gladly accept a dollar to endure it. Why does this happen? The vivid detail of the near future makes it much more palpable than the far future. Thus we feel more anxious and excited when we imagine events that will take place soon when we imagine events that will take place later. Indeed, studies show that the parts of the brain that are primarily responsible for generating feelings of pleasurable excitement become active when people imagine receiving a reward, such as money, in the near future, but not when they imagine receiving the same reward in the far future. Writer Arthur C. Clarke formulated what has become known as Clarke's first law. When a distinguished but elderly scientist says that something is possible, he's almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he's very probably wrong. In other words, when scientists make erroneous predictions, they almost always err by predicting that the future will be too much like the present. In one study, researchers challenged some volunteers to answer five geography questions and then told them that after they had taken their best guesses, they would receive one or two rewards. Either they would learn the correct answers to the questions they had been asked. And thus, find out whether they have gotten them right or wrong, or they would receive a candy bar but would never learn the answers. Some volunteers chose their reward before they took the geography quiz, and some volunteers chose their reward only after they took the quiz. As you might expect, people prefer the candy bar before taking the quiz, but they prefer the answers after taking the quiz. In other words, Taking the quiz made people so curious that they valued the answers more than a scrumptious candy bar. But do people know that this will happen? Curiosity is a powerful urge. But when you aren't smack dab in the middle of feeling it, it is hard to imagine just how far and how fast it can actually drive you. But why? Why are the powers of human imagination so easily humbled? (coughs) This is, after all, the same imagination that produced space travel, gene therapy, the theory of relativity, and the Monty Python's cheese shop sketch. Even the least imaginative among us can imagine things so wild and so weird that our mothers would wash our heads out with soap if only they knew. The emotional experience that actually results from a flow of information that originates in the world is called feeling. The emotional experience that results from a flow of information that originates in memory is called pre feeling. And mixing them up is one of the world's most popular sports. We think. We are thinking outside the box only because we cannot see how big the box really is. Imagination cannot easily transcend the boundaries of the present, and one reason for this is that it must borrow machinery that is owned by perception. The fact that these two processes must run on the same platform means that they are sometimes confused about which one is running. We assume that what we feel as we imagine the future is what we will feel when we get there. But, in fact, what we feel as we imagine the future is often the response to what is happening in the present. The timeshare arrangement between perception and imagination is one of the causes of presentism, but it's not the only one. Most stimuli are ambiguous, that is, they can mean more than one thing. And The interesting question is how we disambiguate them, that is, how we know which of stimuli's many meanings to go with in a particular event. Context, frequency, and recency are especially important in this regard. Research shows this. The brain and the eye, eye and the brain, they might have a contractual relationship in which the brain has agreed to believe what the eyes see. But in return, the eye has agreed to look for what the brain wants. Ignorance of our psychological immune system causes us to mispredict the circumstances under which we will blame others, but it also causes us to mispredict the circumstances under which we will blame ourselves. Inescapable, inevitable, and irrevocable circumstances trigger the psychological immune system, but, as with the intensity of suffering People do not always recognize that this will happen. Now, if humanity is a living library of information about what it feels to do just about anything that actually can be done, then why do people with the library cards make so many bad decisions? There are just two possibilities. The first, is that a lot of advice we receive from others is bad advice that we foolishly accept. The second is that a lot of the advice we receive from others is good advice that we foolishly reject. So, which is it? Do we listen too well when others speak, or do we not listen well enough? And the answer to that question is yes, when we imagine future circumstances. We will fill in details that will not really come to pass, and then leave out details that actually will come to pass. When we imagine future feelings, we find it impossible to ignore what we are feeling now, and impossible to recognize how we think about the things that happen later. Foresight is a fragile talent that often leaves us squinting, straining to see what it would be like to have this, go there, or do that. There is no simple formula for finding happiness. But if our great big brains do not allow us to go sure-footedly into our futures, they at least do allow us. To understand what makes us stumble, and there you have it: stumbling on happiness. Please do help out. If it's easy, simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. If you have enjoyed this video, if you found value, please then do like it, share it too, share it too, spread the word, share this information. Do leave a comment and share your thoughts. Start a conversation with each other, start a conversation with Midi. What did you think about this stumbling on happiness? Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. You know how to do that, where to click and what to click on. The link to this book is in the description below. Buy it, read, never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So, Gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.